We are going to our second uh, lesson of the Afterlife series. Uh, last week, we had our uh, life groups, so I did not continue it last week. We will be doing part two today. We will not be doing part three next week because that's our candlelight service, but we'll be doing part three the week after that. So just so you know, but I'm very excited to get into this lesson. There's a lot that we're going to talk about today, a lot that I believe is important for us to know, especially in the climate that we live in today. Um, because there are so many thoughts and theories and ideas about the afterlife. You cannot watch a movie, a TV show, read a book these days without this topic coming up. So we want to know what the Bible says about it, right? We want to know what the Bible says about the afterlife and specifically what happens when we die, Hallelujah. And we talked a lot about that two weeks ago. I'm going to be doing a very good recap so that you can catch up and kind of follow along with us. But we are going to be focusing more so than what happens when we die. We're going to be focusing on what happens when they die. Because, uh, again, what I have found is as a, a preacher and a pastor, this is something that is often brought up. I've regretfully, or it's not regret on my behalf, but uh, sadly, I have had to do many funerals. I've had to face some very, very difficult situations, including uh, one time doing a funeral and, and uh, helping a family through a suicide of, the, of a young boy. And, um, you know, so I've had a lot of difficult situations I've had to help people in. And this is really one of the big questions that's always brought up. What happens when they die? Uh, and we're going to be talking about just all of it and, and what that means for us uh, in this lesson. So before we really get into it too much, there's a few things I need to say just to lay a foundation. First of all, I want to be very clear. I am not God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I do not make the rules, praise God. Uh, I do not have all the answers. What I'm going to be doing today is presenting Scripture. And I'm going to be very honest with you. There's going to be a portion in, in this where I'm going to be straight with you. I'm going to say, look, I don't know. I just don't know the answer. Uh, and I've, you know, I've heard many, many lessons on this uh, got a lot of resources on this. I'm going to present to you the best that I can what the Bible says about it. At the end of the day, again, the Bible doesn't talk too, too much in detail about the afterlife. But let's be honest, how can you give much detail about the afterlife? You know, how would you explain to somebody what it feels like to have your soul enter into paradise or anything like that? Certainly this is an experience that we will all have, right? And so the Bible doesn't give a lot, a lot of details, but we are going to talk about just about every scripture that I could find on any of these topics, but that's it. We're going to get into the Word of God. This isn't Aaron, Pastor Meehan's opinion. If it is an opinion and there's not a lot of Scripture, I will give you, I'll tell you that. I will tell you this is my opinion. Uh, but there's not a lot of Scripture on this, so this is me putting pieces together from the whole uh, entirety of the, of the Bible. So I will try to explain that. Let me also say what we're going to be talking about today, especially in this, this can be a heated subject. 
uh, especially if you've got loved ones who have passed away recently. This could be something that could be very hard for you. This may even contradict some of your experiences when dealing with death. It could contradict some of your experiences. I'm not here to contradict anything, to poke fun at anything. I am here straightforwardly just trying to present the Word of God. Uh, and and, and here's, here's the fact of the matter. We have to take the Bible at heart. There's a reason why Paul said, if any man or angel comes unto you preaching any other doctrine than what I give unto you, let him be accursed. Because he's saying that there's not just men who will try to sway you in the wrong direction. But there are also angels, obviously demonic angels, who will also try to sway you and confuse you and make you think something that is not true. At the end of the day, the Bible is right, no matter what. Can we agree to that? Hallelujah. The Bible is right, no matter what. So let's look at that. And if it does not compare to my experiences, I should first reevaluate my experiences and try to discover, okay, how, why is this what I felt? Why did I see this or hear this or think this? What is the reason behind that? And, and go from there. So this may contradict experience. We're just looking at the Word of God and wanting to see it from a biblical point of view. So let's do a little bit of a recap, or an, actually a whole bunch of a recap, just because we have to set some of these, lay a foundation so that we can move forward into our uh, topics today. But first of all, there are three assurances the Bible gives us about the afterlife. Three assurances. Number one, There absolutely is an afterlife. When you die, it's not just you go into a grave, you go to sleep, and you're never to be heard of again. That's it. The end of the game. That's all. That is not true, not scripturally. Scripturally, there absolutely is an afterlife. Scripturally, all human beings will live forever somewhere. This really is just the first chapter of our story. And I know, you know, again, we have a a lot of life experiences and all that. You got to just remember, this is just to start the next life. And what we do now is highly important, extremely important to the next life or the afterlife. But this is only a portion of our life. We will live forever somewhere. But... Where that is determines on your faith in God. The eternal destinies of people of faith and those who reject God are quite different. This is obvious in scriptures, and we'll talk more about this in lesson three than we will today. We'll just kind of settle that um, that point, but we'll talk more about it in lesson three. But this is obvious in scriptures. If you live for God, you have faith in God, you live according to his commandments, then absolutely there is heaven or paradise that you will go to and ultimately the new heaven and the new earth you will live in. However, if you do not follow the commandments of God, you do not have faith in the Lord, then the Bible is very clear. You will not go to those places. You will go to Hades. 
uh, and ultimately, uh, or hell, if you will, and ultimately you will join into the lake of fire. So that's why we're talking about this. This is so important for us to settle some of these differences and, and figure that out. So in order to really grasp what we're talking about today, we have to know this point. Humans are both physical and spiritual beings, or in other words, we are uh, material and immaterial beings, meaning that we are obviously what you can see, and then there's a lot to us that you cannot see, right? And it goes further than just neurons firing in our brain. Uh, I think scientists to this point have determined they've, they've, they're still struggling to truly understand the vast complexity of human beings. It's because it's more than just cells, neurons, and all of that. There's more to us than just our physical beings, but there is that spiritual or immaterial beings. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And at that point, man became a living soul. This is an important point. At that point, he became a living soul. Now, it's important to note that it's not the body that determined the life force. In man, it is not your body that determines your life force. Now, again, I recognize we say that we die when this body expires, right? But truly, scripturally, that's not necessarily death. The Bible calls it the first death, but that's not necessarily death because our soul, which is uh, who we really are, it continues to live after this body has expired. So this body expiring does not mean death. Ultimately, we continue to live because of the soul, which is the life force within us. Genesis 2-7 shows us that there are three compartments to human beings. Number one, the body. This is what was formed by God out of the dust of the earth. This is the material that you see. This is what you see, and we can see each other right here. Also, the spirit, which came into Adam as the breath of life when God breathed into him. So there is the spirit of man also. But the merging, and this is what's so interesting, the merging of the physical body with the spiritual breath of life is what created the new creature called mankind. That's what created the new creature. It was the merging of the body and the spirit that created the soul, or as the Bible says, the living soul. That soul, the soul within us, is the real person containing all that we are, our essence, our personality. It was created by the union of the spirit that comes from God, with the body that comes from the dust. Uh, and it's important that we recognize today there is a difference between the spirit and the soul. And this is made known by Hebrews 4.12. 
Hebrews 4.12, it tells us, for the word of God, the Bible, is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, what he's trying to communicate here is, first of all, there is a separation between the soul and the spirit, and the word of God is so powerful that it's able to get past just the body, and it's able to get past the spirit, but it's able to get to the the very core of who we are, and that's the soul. Have you ever been in a church service or a Bible study or a worship service and the Bible is being preached and you're hearing verses and all of a sudden it's like it's piercing down to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It's going through your ears, but it's doing something on the inside of you that you can't quite put your fingers on. That's the power of the Word of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, somebody clap your hands to that. That's the power of the Word of God. It's able to pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, what's what's the dividing asunder of soul and spirit? Where's that dividing point? I couldn't tell you. Certainly God could. I couldn't tell you. But we know the Bible is able to. The Bible is able to, with pinpoint accuracy, go through the spirit and the soul. There is a separation. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, it confirms this. I'm sorry, 5.23 says, in the very God of peace. Isn't that interesting? Hallelujah. We were singing about peace earlier. Praise God. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, and this is my prayer for every person in this place. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That's why when people say God looks on the heart, he doesn't care about what's on the outside, that's not true. This Bible says that the spirit, the soul, and the body must be presented blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because all these three, that's what we are comprised of, And the Bible says we are to offer up our bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Praise God. So all three of these need to be consecrated to the Lord. Hallelujah. All three of these need to be devoted and and sacrificed unto God. It's not enough just to say, well, God knows my heart. Yeah, but does he know your, your actions? Hallelujah. Does he know your body? Is your, is your body being devoted over to the Lord? I don't know why I'm harping on this. I feel it. Hallelujah. But is your body devoted to the Lord as your spirit and your soul is? All right. So what happens? What happens to, uh, praise God. What happens to these compartments when we pass away? When our earthly lives come to an end. Again, this is just a recap, but it's important to get all this in order to understand what we're going to talk about in a moment. Number one, what happens to the body? The Bible is very clear. It returns to the earth. If you want scriptures on that, we're not going to go through every one of them. We went through them a couple weeks ago, but those are all scriptures on it. You can take notes if you'd like to, but the body returns to the earth. From dust were we made and dust we will return. That's where the body goes. 
But what happens to the spirit? The Bible in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, uh, in James 2, 26, it suggests that the spirit, actually Ecclesiastes straightforward says, the spirit returns to God. That's what the Bible says. The spirit returns to God. Why? Because that was the breath of God. And it's needed in order for this body to create that living soul, but the breath of God returns to him while the spirit, or I'm sorry, the soul, the Bible says, it goes to Hades or to paradise, the places of unrest or rest, to await the resurrection and the judgment. Now, let me be very clear, everything we're going to be talking about tonight is within the time frame of when we die on this earth and when Jesus comes back in, and we are resurrected. As the Bible says, uh, the, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So at that point, the, all these rules change. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But what we're focusing tonight is the timeline between now and when Jesus comes back, or the, the great white throne of judgment, and all of that. We're talking about the between moments right there. And the Bible is very clear. Again, Luke 16, Luke 23, Revelation 6, Revelation 14. It talks about these, and we'll be t- uh, kind of going through a lot of these verses as we go. But Jesus says, you know, on the cross, he's talking to the thief, and he says, this day ye shall be with me in paradise, right? He said, this day, meaning when you pass away, uh, I've already reserved a spot for you in paradise. So there's some terms here we need to qualify. First of all, I believe when we say Hades, we're also talking about hell, the place of unrest, all three of those are the same place. The lake of fire is a different place. We will talk about that in a couple weeks. But Hades, hell, the place of unrest are all the same place. When we talk about paradise, heaven, or the place of rest, again, we're talking about the same place. We're talking about the place where the righteous and those who live by faith will enter into. That is heaven, Uh, the place of rest, or paradise. But they're all talking about the same things. And the Bible is, again, very clear. We'll talk about several verses about the rich man who the Bible says that the angel came and took Lazarus into Abram's bosom, but the rich man the angel put into Hades or hell or the place of unrest. So when we die, our body goes to the earth, back to the earth, Our spirit joins back to God, and our soul either goes to Hades or goes to paradise or heaven or hell. Um, So when we talk about this, I wanted to get specific because this right here is important, but what about all of this extra supernatural stuff you see on TV and movies and what all these other religions believe in? Let's talk about those specifically. Now, I know, you know, we might, you might want to just move on and you know all the answer to these, but I think it's important to really dig into these topics and say, you know, do we have the ability to communicate with the dead? Is that something that is legit and real? Are we, do we have ancestors that are still walking the earth? 
Do we have ancestors that are communicating with us and, and helping us? So these are all questions we're going to talk about with Scripture to really pinpoint the truth according to the Bible. So the first question that we're going to answer is, do souls linger on earth after the body has died? If you look online, which I've done, you'll see that some have taught that your soul wanders the earth for three days, some 40 days, some two years. Again, this is all just theory, a lot just projection. Of course, you also hear of uh, the Hindu's theory of reincarnation. Uh, is it possible that we come back in a different form? All of these things, again, there's no evidence of this in the Bible. Hindu's theory of reincarnation, no evidence of that in the Bible. And when it comes to souls wandering in the earth, the Bible suggests something very different. The Scripture suggests that our souls are immediately placed in the place of rest or unrest. So let's talk about these two Scriptures. I've already mentioned them, but let's talk about them here and look at the Scriptures uh, for what they are. Verse 42, Luke 23 and verse 42, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I think probably somebody who's hanging on a cross, being crucified, one of the most gruesome deaths you could incur, he probably would have some unfinished business in the earth, right? But Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Suggesting, again, allowing there to be this understanding that right now, when you pass away, you're not going to linger. You're not going to walk around. You're going to be with me in paradise. Again, we see it in Luke chapter 16 and verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried, the beggar being Lazarus, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. We talked a little bit about Abraham's bosom, what that is, I believe, Personally, the Abraham's bosom was a kind of a resting place for the Old Testament. And when Jesus died, the Bible said, I don't want to muddy the waters here too much, but uh, praise God, when Jesus died, the Bible says he entered into Hades. He died, and for three days he entered into Hades. I believe what the Bible says when he, it says he set captives free. It was actually talking about Abraham's bosom. It was actually a place of rest for them at that day, but Jesus brought them out of that place and took them to heaven or the place of rest that we know of today. So this is obviously Old Testament that it's talking about here, and it says that the angels carried Lazarus, the beggar, into Abraham's bosom. However, the rich man also died and was buried. Look at this. It's giving an event, it's giving a, a series of events. He died, was buried, and all of a sudden in, he's in hell. And he's lifting up his eyes, being in torment, seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. 
Uh, another understanding of this is the Bible says that he wanted Lazarus to go talk to his brothers who were currently alive in the earth. So if they're alive in the earth, that means that he wasn't lingering around and then one day at some point he went to hell. Uh, this actually obviously happened immediately. I don't believe, again, that we sit around, we wait, we finish things. Uh, the Bible is very, very clear on this. Uh, and that's actually the next question that we want to answer. What if souls have unfinished business in the earth? Are they going to remain? Are they going to continue in the earth until they're able to finish that? The Bible states very clearly, this is not a suggestion at all, it states very clearly, the dead are incapable of carrying out earthly activities. Period. Let's look at those verses. Psalms 146 and 4. His breath goeth before, he returneth to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. That word thoughts, it means plans. Any plans, preparations, anything they had going on before their death, when they died, it was over. They no longer had plans. Those thoughts, those plans, they perished. And ultimately, it's up to now the living to carry those things out, right? Uh, and if we are to, to carry on the memory of our loved ones who have passed on, that's up to us to, care, to carry it on and to fulfill it and to finish it, right? Hallelujah. But this also should be a warning to us. If there's something undone in your life, don't keep pushing it off, right? Don't keep pushing it off until you don't have the ability to fulfill it or accomplish it. If God's put something in your spirit, you need to do it now. Amen. Especially the way this world is today, we got to do it now. Let's not be inactive, but let's move forward. Let's do what God's called us to do. Let's be who God's called us to be. Hallelujah. We need to do it now. Praise God. We need to do it now. Praise the Lord. Ecclesiastes 9. Verse 4 through uh, 6 says, For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Uh, this, is, this is pretty intense. And again, uh, you know, this, I, I don't mean to be insensitive to anybody today who's lost loved ones. But what he's trying to say is that a lion who is obviously more superior than a lion or a dog, a lion who's obviously stronger, better at hunting, more capable of, of you know, dominating in this earth, if it's dead, it is no better than a living dog. A dog that's living is better than a dead lion. So why is that? He says, for the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Now, now let, me, let me first say this. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, he did have memories of his brothers. He did have uh, emotions. He did have 
an, a memory of what water felt like and drinking water felt like. So this isn't suggesting that they no more have a brain. They're unable to think. Obviously, that's not what it's suggesting. What it's suggesting is that, again, they have no more earthly activity to fulfill. And they're unable to fulfill anything else that's on the earth because they have passed away. Number six, also their love. I mean, this is, this is pretty intense stuff here. Their love, their hatred, their envy, it's now perished. Neither have they anymore a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. And that's the key point right there. And uh, again, I want to be very sensitive here. I've had people tell me, people who've asked, asked me point blanks. I had a, a, a co-worker one time whose brother had passed away. And she said, Aaron, I believe that he's here with me. And he's, he shows me his love. And he's helping me to do this. And he's helping me to do this. Do you believe that, Aaron? And, of course, when you're put on the spot like that, it's a very difficult situation. This wasn't me as Pastor Aaron. This was me as coworker Aaron. So I had to, you know, be very choosy with my words. But according to this passage of Scripture, although that's a comforting mindset, it's not necessarily scripturally sound. Although there's no doubt they may be in heaven still with love towards you, they may be in hell still with love towards you, They cannot express that love, that hatred, that envy under the earth. Or, I'm I'm sorry, under the sun. They're unable to do that. They have passed on, and they no longer are able to do these things. Again, I understand that maybe these are, are questions that maybe you haven't asked or maybe you have a knowledge of, but it's good to break these things apart and really get into it. All right, well, let's get even deeper. Can we communicate with the dead. Now, I kind of answered that just a moment ago, but but truly, can we communicate with the dead? Are these psychics real? Um, the belief is that when somebody dies, his or her psychic connection with loved ones is not immediately severed. Many believe that it remains for a long time because of this. His or her energy can still be felt by the living, this is an idea, again, that, that my coworker had. She felt that his energy was still helping her and supporting her and, and that he was communicating. She actually believed he communicated, her brother communicated to her. Um, so the, this is the idea. It's done psychically. Their soul has a psychic connection to us. There's also this idea, again, of ancestor guiding us and those who've gone before us, supporting us in our efforts and all of that. But again, in the story of Jesus and Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man was unable to communicate to his brothers from Hades. He was unable to do it. And we'll actually read the story here. Where this is a little bit in, into it, but it says, and besides all this, this is Abraham speaking to the rich man who is currently burning in Hades. He just asked Abraham to send Lazarus with just a drop of water to be placed on his tongue. 
So he's currently burning in Hades, and he's talking to Abraham. Now, now let me let me go ahead and say this, since there's people who weren't here in the last lesson. This right here, some people would call a parable. I don't believe it was a parable at all. My reason being is when Jesus told parables, he told them in generalities, and he never used names. It was always a farmer went to sow, and his enemy came and, and sowed tares. We talked about that last week. It was always done in generalities and never specific. This we see not just uh, the specifics on what occurred, but specifically it says the beggar's name was Lazarus. Jesus never used names in parables. We see that it was Abraham that he was talking to. We see so many details that coincide with everything else that Jesus told about hell. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus is actually giving an account of an event that actually happened in Hades or hell. So in this passage of Scripture, we're reading. I mean, imagine now. Right now, we're reading events that took place in the afterlife. That's what Jesus unfolded for us here. That's pretty incredible to me. So, so verse 26, and besides all this, Abraham says, between us, Abram and Abraham and Lazarus, and you, the rich man, there is a great gulf fixed. Or in other words, almost like a wall. There, there's, there's no way to get from one place to the other place. So that there, they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from then. So there is a distinct separation between heaven and hell, he says. Verse 27, and he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, this is the rich man talking to Abraham. The rich man says, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send Lazarus to my father's house. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. Verse, I feel like it's skipping here. Are we skipping? Praise God. All right. But he says, and he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, this is Abraham speaking, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So he's making this point that, first of all, uh, the rich man is unable to go to his brothers and to preach to them. He's unable to go to his father's house. He's not capable of making that trip. So it's very clear to me, again, at least from people who are in Hades or hell, that they're unable to communicate with the living. Then he makes this statement that, that there's no point for the dead to talk to the living. He says because the dead will not change the heart of the living. And no matter if a ghost or a spirit or something came to you, it's not going to be beneficial spiritually. He says if you really want to hear from those who are dead, 
open up the Bible, look into Scripture. That's the place that's going to benefit you spiritually and help to get you to heaven and escape hell. The Bible is still the number one place that we can go to learn how to stay away from hell and shun hell and escape hell. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Praise the Lord. Let's stop waiting for some dramatic spiritual event to take place on this earth, and let's just start preaching the Bible. Hallelujah. You want your loved ones saved? Start preaching the Bible. You want your children saved? Start preaching the Bible. You want your co-workers saved? We got to start preaching the Bible. That's the way we escape hell. It's by the Bible. Abraham and the prophets, the gospels and the apostles. That's how we escape hell. It's the Bible. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Oh, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Praise God. Now, I do want to be very clear about this. Grief is very, very powerful. It is. Grief is very powerful. Again, I come... You know, I want to be sensitive on this. If you've got experiences that contradict these scriptures, I encourage you to really consider today these scriptures. Read through them. Study them. I've heard many, many ideas about what happens to the dead, primarily from people who are in the middle of grieving. And in the middle of grieving... You want to hold on to certain ideas in order to comfort you. In the middle of grieving, you want to hold on. You want to feel close to the person who you lost. So it's easier to, again, embrace this idea. And I'm going to be very clear with you. There's a time and a place. I do not correct everybody who comes to me out of grief and says that they believe their loved one is still with them or any, something like that. I don't, I don't slander them. I don't you know, curse them and throw the Bible at them, especially when they're in the middle of their grief. I don't do that. I will tell them, I believe Jesus hears you, and I believe Jesus can help you. Hallelujah. And if if I feel like they have an open heart, I will explain it to them. But again, I'm going to do it very gracefully. I'm going to do it very nurturing because I understand that grief is powerful. And and what we have to do is we have to move them through grief in order for them to understand and be able to comprehend these lessons right here. Because in the middle of grief, you want to hold on to everything you can to your loved one. So it's very important that that distinction be made right there and that we, again, love people Help them through their grieving process by first and foremost clinging on to Jesus and not just this idea that their loved ones are still with them. Because if they call on Jesus, Jesus will answer them. They, they, may, they may think that they hear from their loved one or something like that, but I know for a fact that if they call on Jesus, he'll answer them. I know for a fact that if they call on Jesus, he'll comfort them. Hallelujah. So when people start bringing this up in the middle of their grief, they start bringing up stuff about their loved one and and all this stuff, I try to turn their attention towards Jesus. 
Hallelujah. I tried to turn their attention towards Jesus. Another, another fact, and, and this isn't in my notes, but uh, as I'm going along the, the idea of grief, uh, I've had many people come to me after a loved one has passed who obviously were not living for God, who were obviously not living according to the, the Word of God, were not faithful to God, and they all ask me, point blank, Pastor, do you believe that they're in heaven or do you believe they're in hell? Now, you... you Again, when you're in grief, you're grieving. These questions are predominant in your mind. And I don't at any point, uh, I don't at any point think down on anybody who asked that. I've been asked that many times from grieving family members. And my answer is always the same. I tell them this. I am not God. I do not determine if your loved one goes to heaven or hell. I said, but I know for a fact that there's no one I'd rather turn my loved one over than to the mercy and the judgment of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, some may say, well, you're tricking them. You're doing this. No, what I'm doing is I'm putting their focus on Jesus. And I'm showing them that, number one, Jesus determines, God determines. I'm pointing them to the only hope that their loved one has. And that's the grace of God. Hallelujah. After you're dead, you have no more hope other than the grace and mercy of God. So I tell them, this is the only place I can have comfort. But we can have comfort in that. Even if we know for a fact that this isn't the case, we can have comfort. So I'll say, there's nobody I'd I'd rather turn my family member over to then the grace of God and the judgment of God. Then I'll follow it up with this. But I also know that's why it's important for me to live for the Lord and for me to obey the Scriptures and for me to live faithfully for God because I want to make sure there's no question that when I get before the throne of the Lord, I will not be turned away, but I'll be welcome in to those purely gates with wide open arms. So I got to live faithfully unto the Lord. Praise God. All right, let's move on here. I saw a Facebook post about a church of a very, very large Christian church. I won't say who it was. They uh, announced that they had a new minister, a new pastor joining their team. This pastor claimed that she had a tenth gift of the Spirit, which is speaking to the dead. So if you think that this is just a Hollywood thing, let me assure you, this has been creeping into the church ever so slightly. That's why it's important for us to talk about this. Now, I don't have a lot more time. Uh, let, let me do make just a couple of com- comments here about 1 Samuel chapter 28. Uh, this may or may not be important to some of you, but I know that there are uh, students of the Bible, and, and I'm sure these are topics that, again, you will be asked at some point. Did the witch call up Samuel? Or didn't she? Now this is, of course, a story in 1 Samuel chapter 28. Saul was desperate. The Lord was not speaking to him anymore by any means physically. 
Uh, and although he had made it a rule that no witches could be on the earth, he went to a witch anyhow and asked her to call upon Samuel. The Bible says, again, now there's a lot of theories as to what really what happened here, but the Bible says Samuel did come and begin to talk to Saul. Samuel basically prophesied that Saul was going to die, that he had disobeyed God, and that, uh, again, basically said, why have you called me up? Samuel said to him, uh, now there's a lot of ideas here, and again, I'm, I'm trying not to t- dwell too much on this, but there's p- several possible explanations for this. And this is the point where I'm going to tell you, I don't know, truthfully, I don't know what happened here. I can tell you what my, I think is most likely, but let me tell you truthfully, I don't know what's happening here. The first possibility is the woman was deceiving Saul and that she was just tricking him, making him think it was Samuel that was speaking. The problem with this theory is she genuinely had a fear that Saul was going to harm her because she was a witch and calling up the dead. So she genuinely had this fear if she was just deceiving Saul, why would she even bother? if she genuinely had this fear. Uh, The second possible explanation is what appeared as Samuel was actually a demon in disguise. Now this is, is again, something that I can't uh, just write off immediately, but there are some reasons why I do believe that this may not be the case. The Bible says specifically it was Samuel that answered Saul And this is in verse 20. It says, Then Saul fell straightway all along on the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. Now, there's some who suggest that it never says Samuel did it, but that Saul thought it was Samuel. Well, in this passage of Scripture, it's straightforward, says because of the words of Samuel. So the Bible is suggesting that it was Samuel. At least to me, it appears that way. The voice that spoke to Saul had intimate knowledge of the will and plan of God. It spoke very similar to how Samuel spoke to Saul in his life. It just appeared to me that nothing he said clicked like it was a demonic presence. Why would a demonic spirit begin to uh, basically show him the plan and will of God for his life? Now, some say, well, that wasn't really his plan. The demonic spirit set that up. Again, I'm not saying it's not this because I truly don't know. But it seems to me like there's probably more uh, better explanations. The third possible reason is God sent Samuel to speak to Saul. It wasn't truly the woman that conjured up the spirit of Saul. But it was God that said, you know, I need to deliver this message to Saul. Let me use this as an opportunity to do it. No matter what, that's probably the case. If it was the woman conjuring up Samuel or not, we know that nothing happens without the approval of God, right? So more than likely, that is the case, no matter what the situation is. Um, But again, there's a lot that is in here that suggests that Samuel was conjured up. He says specifically, why have you brought me here? At least Samuel or the person that's speaking, the spirit that was speaking, he thought that it was Saul and the the witch who had brought him to that point. So the fourth and final explanation is that through demonic power, 
the woman conjured up Samuel from his resting place. And that she actually had the power to do this. Not her, but the demonic spirit. There's a lot of scriptures that suggest that this woman was not just a witch, but that she was actually demonically possessed. So the question comes, does the devil have the power to conjure up spirits like this in this way? Again, I don't believe he does unless God allows him to. So you can see how there's a lot of issues with all of these explanations. If if I had to choose one, I would probably lean more towards the fact that through demonic power, witchcraft, I, I truly, again, I don't believe witchcraft has any power on us because we're people of the word, right? And spirit-filled. But I do know that there, if there is a, a, a spiritual power in the good side, there's also spiritual power on the bad side. We also see in Scripture where there was soothsayers and things like that that could conjure up these things in, in a demonic way. So I do think that probably that's more than likely. I also want to note, you say, well, the Bible says that that rich man could not go and visit his brothers. That's true, but Abraham never said that Lazarus couldn't. He only said it wouldn't be beneficial for Lazarus to visit. He didn't say that Lazarus couldn't. So again, I know we're stepping into dangerous grounds here. I don't want you to think that I'm I'm preaching that people are coming and, and doing all this. That's absolutely not the case. Now, the reason why I said all that, and I, I can be honest that I don't know the truth, is because we come to the same conclusion no matter what the explanation is. And that is Saul was absolutely wrong and in sin to try to talk to the dead to begin with. That's the whole moral of the story. In fact, later on in the New Testament, it tells us that Saul's sin was first, he did not obey the Lord's command concerning Achan, and because he sought out a witch to connect to the dead. So at the end of the day, should we, can we talk to the dead? I can't answer all that through demonic power. I can't answer that. But I can tell you we shouldn't. It is against the will of God. In fact, the Bible goes as far as calling it an abomination. Hallelujah. There it is. The Bible states that calling on the dead is an abomination before the Lord. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at all those scriptures. Uh, uh, Leviticus 26 through 7, and the soul that turneth after such a familiar spirit, or it's talking about the spirit of the dead, and after wizards to go whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Uh, Verse 7, Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. That's why all these TV shows about going into haunted houses and trying to raise the dead or trying to sense of spirit or whatever. Listen, we have we shouldn't have any part of any of that junk. Hallelujah. He says, sanctify yourself. Separate yourself from that kind of stuff. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Praise God. Hallelujah. Isaiah 8 and 19. Praise God. Isaiah 8 and 19. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits. Again, it's talking about those who call on the dead. And unto wizards that peep and that mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God? 
for the living is for the living to the dead. In other words, it's saying, why are you seeking the dead when you should be seeking after God? That's what he's saying here. Why seek after the dead? The dead can't help you. The dead doesn't have the answers, but I know the one who does. Hallelujah. The Lord has the answers. Hallelujah. He's got all the answers. Finally, Deuteronomy 18 and 9. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There's that word, abominations. That's a very important word, abomination. It, it basically means a hatred. It is basically the word that God only uses for the most obscene things that he did not do not care for, does not like. That's what that word means. Verse 10, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire or that uses divination or an observer of time or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits. Again, talking, and, and these are in the King James Version. I meant to switch these over. In most other translations, it says straightforward, those who consult with the dead. So this is King James Version lingo, but it's talking about consulting with the dead or wizards or necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. For these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee to do so. All of these scriptures are basically saying the same thing. Why call on the dead when you've got a living God? Hallelujah. Why call on the dead when you've got a living God who's able to help you and to be with you and to touch you and to give you peace and to give you joy? That's everything that he's saying in this passage of Scripture. And finally, and I'll close with this. In Hades, they desperately desired to communicate with the living. In paradise, the Bible says, they are blessed and at rest, awaiting the resurrection of the dead. In other words, those in Hades, they greatly regret it. And they don't want you to go there. But those in paradise, they're at rest. And the Bible says they are blessed. Revelation 6 and 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled, saying that there's a place of rest that we will go to when we are, again, faithful, living for God. Revelations fourteen thirteen, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, Yea, say the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Hallelujah. I know for a fact the Bible's very clear. The dead do not continue their work in the, in the earth. The, those in Hades desire to continue but cannot. Those in heaven, they have rest, knowing that the Lord is in control 
and they have rest from all their labors. Hallelujah. They've entered into a place without fear, a place without anxiety. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know if that just touched anybody like it did me. Hallelujah. A place where they're no longer just trying to fight for that last minute of sleep. Oh, God. Hallelujah. A place where they just have rest and no more labor. Praise God. But they're able to just be in the presence of God in paradise. How about we stand here today? I know this was a lot that I unpackaged. Oh, but I believe at the end of all this, we must come to this conclusion. I don't want to go to Hades. I want to go to paradise. I want to be with my Lord and my Savior. I want to be faithful in the presence of the Lord. I want to obey His Scriptures. I want to hear... Moses and the prophets, I want to study the Bible. Hallelujah. And the answer, of course, to all of this, what determines if I'm blessed in paradise or regretful in Hades? It's how we live today. It's who we choose to follow today. It's what we choose to do today. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to open up this altar, and I just invite you. I know we've gone a little long today, but I just invite you, if you'd like to take a few minutes, just to call on the Lord Jesus. Maybe you want to come down and repent. Maybe you just want to come down and rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. Maybe you just want to praise God and thank Him for doing something for you. Maybe you've got that fear, that anxiety. Maybe you need God to help you. Perhaps you've lost family members recently and you're still grieving and in your pain. Would you come down and find a place where you can find rest and peace like the Bible says and like we sung about earlier? Peace in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) 